Well, good morning, Austin Oaks Church. Uh, my name is Josh, and I'm on staff here with the church. Uh, that was actually my lovely wife who was singing in the band this morning. Oh, um, that's really sweet. Um, so we were actually really young by today's standards when we got married. We were 20 years old, just little kids. I was 19 years old when I proposed to her. And uh, one of the things that we did... Um, for our wedding, we got our groomsmen gifts, and they were this uh, matching set of ties and Converse sneakers for them to wear for the wedding. And they were different colors, so uh, there was green, and I think it was brown and yellow were the other two. Um, so if you look back on pictures, they look, they look really nice. You know, it works really, it's kind of quirky, but it was fun. Um, as for me, I had my suit picked out. Um, I had a white tie, which still to this day, I don't understand, but my wife wanted me to wear it, so I wore it. Um, but I kid you not, the morning of my wedding, I woke up to get ready, and uh, I had not even given a single thought as to what shoes I was going to wear for my own wedding. Uh, even though we had gifted our groomsmen's shoes, I... It just didn't even dawn on me until that morning uh, that I need shoes, you know, to get married. Um, so, but I was, again, 20 years old at the time, so living with my older brother in an apartment. Uh, I was working at a coffee shop, so the only thing I cared about when it came to shoes is, like, so long as they were nonstick so that I didn't slip on coffee. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't really have any nice shoes. Like, these shoes are nicer than the ones that I wore to my own wedding. Um, it was probably like $20 Walmart shoes. I don't know. Regardless, um, I feel really dumb when I think back on that day because uh, I hadn't properly prepared for it. Now, did anyone actually notice my shoes? I don't know. Uh, to this day, no one's ever like said anything to me about my shoes. But I know I feel really dumb when I think about how I wasn't prepared for that. Um, I did, obviously, still end up getting married, so the important boxes were checked, right? Uh, we went through a lot of premarital counseling that was awesome, that helped teach us about marriage beforehand. So it's still, you know, we still got married, all the important things happened. Uh, but when I think back about that day, ugh, it just makes me cringe a little bit. It's, it's a little embarrassing. Because when you're not prepared for something, um, you don't get out of it all that there is, right? You're kind of leaving money on the table, as it were, or maybe you just feel like an idiot for years and years and years afterwards when you think about one of the most important days of your life. Uh, but anyways, I digress. Um, what, what does that dumb story have to do with what we're going to be talking about today? Well, today we are going to be discussing uh, preparing ourselves for worship, and what does it mean to prepare to come before God here today? Um, before we take a look particularly at that preparation, I think it's important to understand in order to properly prepare what it is that we're doing here, right? To, to understand how to prepare, we have to understand our purpose. Um, so think about, you know, if you're going to go to a basketball game, and, uh, you know, you're going with family or with friends, like, you'll prepare for it. You know, you'll pick out your outfit, make sure you've eaten dinner, whatever it is. Um, that preparation is going to look very different if you're in the basketball game, like you're one of the basketball players, right? The preparation for that happens 
weeks and months and even years in the making for that very same event. So the purpose that we're here today, the purpose for which we gather to worship actually drives the way that we understand uh, preparing for worship. And uh, to that end, uh, the question is, what does it mean to come before the Lord? Um, Obviously, we've talked a lot about that in this series. The whole series has been about giving God true worship. Uh, But there is a story in Exodus chapter 19 that we're going to be taking a look at that I think um, gives us a great picture of both the purpose of worship and uh, how we ought to prepare as well. So we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 19. Before we dig into that, um, if you don't mind, let's pray. Let's seek the Lord in prayer for just a moment here. So God, as we come to your word this morning, we thank you. We get to worship you in song, and now we worship you by hearing from you, from your word. We pray that you would speak. We anticipate, we look forward to what you're going to do here in our midst this morning. We thank you, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so let's jump into Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to be starting in verse 10. Now, this happens in the life of Israel, if you're familiar with them at all. The Israelites had just been freed from the Egyptian captivity. So if you know the story of Moses, let my people go to the Pharaoh, they, they left there. If you've seen the movie, um, The Prince of Egypt, those events happened. Uh, chapter 19 happens three months after those events. So the Israelites are in the wilderness. Chapter 20, the next chapter after this, is where God gives the Ten Commandments to Israel. So this is right before that happens. God is um, telling the people that he is going to show up and do this thing. So starting in verse 10, let's read. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready for, by the third day, because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So God tells his people, the Israelites, that he is going to be there. And he gives them three days, right, on the third day. So he tells them, this is your time to prepare. You have two days to get ready for when I show up on the third day. So God's presence is going to be with the people in a very particular way, a very special way, because up to this point, they've seen God in magnificent ways. They've seen his miracles, but God is going to dwell with them in relationship with them in a special way by coming to this mountain, Mount Sinai. And so he says, prepare. And how does he say to prepare? Well, he says, get ready and cleanse yourselves. So wash your clothes, you know. Uh, God's not just saying to take a shower, although I'm sure that's part of it as well. Um, As we'll see as we continue, uh, we get to see like the importance of what God is saying here. So verse 12 says, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. So, wow, that escalated quickly, right? First, take a shower, and now if you don't, you could die. 
And this isn't just for the Israelites themselves, but God also explains any animal that approaches this mountain, any person who approaches this mountain in an unworthy way will die before me. And this isn't arbitrary. This isn't just God showing off how powerful he is. No, because the purpose that God was coming to the Israelites for was to be with them. He wanted to be close to them in this, this, this special way. Uh, previously in this chapter, verses 5 and 6, God tells Israel, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, God was reaching out to the Israelites. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to dwell with them. He didn't want them to die. But God is so good that in his presence, evil will be destroyed, right? He will bring justice and all the wrong things that happen in our hearts will be accounted for, will be reckoned. And so that means that we will die if we approach him with evil in our own hearts. And that's why God says to do this, this, this outward thing, to cleanse yourselves, to wash yourselves. It's this picture of getting rid of the evil when you come before the Lord. So continuing on, we get to see this manifestation of God descending on Mount Sinai. Verse 16 says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. So put yourself there. You've been preparing for a few days. You've taken your shower, as it were, and then God calls you to come before the mountain and you look up to this mountain and you see smoke and you see God descending in fire. His presence uh, manifests itself in fire. It makes the ground shake. There's a trumpet blast. God speaks in the thunder. It's an absolute assault on all of your senses. There's billows of smoke coming from this mountain. I mean, just imagine the terror in your own heart. As God said, he was coming to be with his people, but when he shows up, it's this picture of power and might. And this is the God who we serve. Joel, the prophet Joel, describes the return of Jesus as the great and terrible day of the Lord. That God is all powerful at his hand. There can be destruction, right? It's a dangerous thing to come before a holy God. And we see this all throughout the scripture, all throughout the Old Testament. We see this in um, the way that God had set up the priests as well. So later on, after this story, after the Israelites build the temple and also a bit while they um, create the tabernacle when they're wandering, the place where the priests were to offer sacrifices, the room 
in which they offered sacrifices um, was called the holy place. And there was another room that was separated off from the holy place that, called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And that's where God manifested himself amongst the Israelites. So similar to what happens at Mount Sinai, God came, he wanted to be with his people, and he dwelt in a special way in the most holy place, the holy of holies. And it was separated from the holy place where the sacrifices happened with um, what's called a veil. We often think of a veil as like a sheer garment, but that's not at all what this veil was. It was actually four inches thick. Um, so think of, you know, the, the strongest blackout curtains you possibly can think of with how thick that they were. And that separated God from his people. Even though he was there with them, no one was allowed to go into the most holy place, except for once a year. Once a year, the high priest would go into the most holy place on the day of atonement and he would come and he would bring a sacrifice for the people to atone for their sins. He would also bring uh, incense and the smoke of the incense was there to shield his vision from the Lord God so he wouldn't see God face to face. And God was actually kind of particular about what the high priest would wear it says that the garments that the high priest would wear would have to have bells. The scripture says that the bells were there so that he would not die. And tradition says that the rest of the priests would stand outside of the Holy of Holies and they would listen in while the high priest was in there. Because if they heard the bells, they knew that the high priest was, was performing his sacrifices, right? He was moving around. You could hear him moving. But if they stopped hearing those bells it meant that the high priest had died because he came to God in an unworthy way. So all this is uh, pretty daunting when we see how holy our God is, when we see that evil cannot even be within his presence. But when we see the danger of coming before him. But don't let that keep you away God wants a direct relationship with you because that veil that I had talked about, that separation between the holy place and where God dwells, that veil was torn. Matthew chapter 27, it says that when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. When Jesus had died on the cross, when he gave himself up as a sacrifice to atone for our sins when he died. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, I said that that veil was four inches thick. It was also, by different reports, between 30 to 60 feet tall. So when the Bible says that it was torn from top to bottom... It means that only God could have done it. That was absolutely impossible for a human to have torn this veil. It was God showing that no longer is, this separate, is there this separation between me and my people. Now because of what Christ has done, I can dwell with you. You can dwell with me. You can be in relationship with me without the fear of death because you have the righteousness 
of Christ. You no longer have to cleanse yourselves. Those things that pointed towards the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, the cleanliness, the sacrifices, those things were all provided for in the Son of God when he gave up his son Jesus, to die on our behalf. And rather than cleansing ourselves and cleansing our garments, we actually clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, now we have direct access to God. Ephesians says that for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And this is a beautiful verse because it shows the inner workings of all three persons of the Trinity. For through him, Jesus, the Son of God, we have access in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. So it shows us that this was God's plan from the beginning, that he had agreed, all three persons of the Trinity had agreed, this is how he would save his people. And this is how they would get access to him directly. Hebrews encourages us. Chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It says we don't have to fear when we approach God. We can come with boldness. Just like me with a father, my son is five years old. I want him to come to me boldly. I don't want him to be afraid of who I am. I want him to come boldly. And notice how the writer of Hebrews describes this place where we receive God's mercy and his grace. He calls it the throne of grace. Okay, The throne is where a ruler reigns, right? It's the place where he condemns those who are in rebellion, the traitors. It's where he rules over all. And yet that same very throne where God reigns is the place where he gives us his good gifts, right? The place that we would, we ought to be absolutely terrified to approach is the very same place that he offers us mercy and grace. And the wonder of all of this is that this is the same God that we serve today. God has never changed. Our standing before him has changed. We were made righteous because of Jesus' righteousness. I think another passage in Hebrews in chapter 12 holds these things um, in tension really well, that God is all-powerful, that he will destroy the wicked and yet his love and care for his people. Verse 26 says that at that time his voice shook the earth, right? Just like we saw on Mount Sinai when he came in, in thunder and fire. It shook the ground. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This is the greatness of our God. Jumping down to verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. He is still all-powerful. 
he is seen in the fire. But we are his beloved. And we don't have to tremble when we come before God because of a chance of death. No, we tremble because of how good he is to us when we don't deserve it. His kindness and his grace for us. So, knowing all of this, if God is the one who's actually prepared us to come before him, then what, what, what are we supposed to do, right? God has already granted us access. So how do we prepare? And how does this even inform the way that we prepare to go before God? Um, well, let me just ask a question. Do we even treat our Sunday morning gathering as something worthy of preparation? What does it look like when we prepare to come together on Sunday? Because God makes it clear that something special happens here, right? Our, Our lives are to be lives of worship before God, but there's something unique and special granted to us here together when we, when we gather together. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, it's, it's a command from God not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our gathering this morning is an encouragement. You being here is an encouragement. To me, it's an encouragement to those around you When we get to come together, we sing the praises of our Lord. It encourages our hearts, right? We need this. Don't neglect this gathering. There's something amazing that happens here. And notice how it's described. This isn't a service that you attend, but a gathering, or rather, even the word service. It implies that that you are a part of what's happening here right? When we gather together. Worship is participatory. Said that word. Didn't stumble over it. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, This isn't a production that we put on, right? This isn't just a bunch of professional Christians that uh, present something for your consumption. No, you are needed here. This is something that we do together, If we are the body of Christ, then we understand that God has created each one with your unique set of gifts and talents and skills and experiences, and we need that together. Your brothers and your sisters here need you to be here, to encourage them, to speak with them so that we can worship God together. And I get it. I, um, I grew up in a Christian household. I have been going to church on Sunday morning for as long as I can remember. Like, I, I, yeah, I can't remember a time when Sunday was not associated with going to church. So I totally understand how it just becomes routine. It's just what you do on Sunday mornings. Uh, small group can be like this too, right? Whether it's, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever. That evening... We just, we have a small group. That's just how it is. Um, there's a saying that goes, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So 
when I am away from my wife and my kids and I think about them, oh man, I just think how I want to be around them, right? I want to be with them. I'm so fond of them. I think that's beautiful. But I think the flip side of that, unfortunately, happens all too often, that familiarity breeds contempt. That when we go through the motions over and over and over again, and Sunday comes and goes every single week, and we do the same thing every time, that we just get used to it. We kind of lose the plot, right? We forget why we're here. We, we just, we do it. We do it to be good Christians. That's what you're supposed to do, right? But I don't, I don't even think I need to tell you this, but I'll just say it. That's not true worship. If you're just going through the motions, that's not worshiping the God of the universe. Um, the verse that we've kind of been playing with this entire series that's been driving the series that we got the title of the series from is out of uh, John 4, verse 23, Jesus himself speaking. He says that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. If we are to worship in spirit, in the core of who we are, our very being, and in truth with our minds in a rational way, we need to engage in what's happening here, right? We can't be passive. Worship is an active event. It's something that we all do together as we gather. Ephesians 5 encourages us to make the best use of our time, or uh, the NIV says to make the most out of every opportunity. That includes this gathering. Make the most out of it. Be here now. Don't let your mind wander to other things. It requires concentration if we are to, to be present, to be active, to worship God together. It requires our concentration. So with all of these things, with the majesty of who God is and, and seeing him in his word, what does that mean for us today, right? Just, just practically, as someone living in 2021, what are, what are some ways that we can actually put this into practice, right? Um, well, if this requires concentration, I think it follows easily that we should shut off distractions, right? And guys, I'm the worst at this, okay? I'm preaching to myself here first before coming up here. This thing is a distraction machine, right? Sometimes I'll find myself even in the middle of a sermon. I'm on staff at the church. In the middle of a sermon, I'm scrolling through my feeds. And I wake up and I'm like, what am I, what am I doing? That's not what I'm here for. If I'm to hear from God, why do I let these things distract me? So I'd encourage you, if it's a distraction, I understand that everyone's different, turn off your phone. Um, if you've been back at the tech booth, you'll see you know, there's like six or seven different screens and I so easily get distracted. But let's put away the distractions as far as it's up to us to focus on God, to focus on each other and encouraging each other when we gather together in worship to God. 
right? What, what are some other practical ways we can put this uh, into practice? Well, I'd say just getting enough sleep. Okay, I think it was Tim Keller who said that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to take a nap. And that's just acknowledging the way that our body functions, right? We want to be at the top of our game. We want to be at peak performance when we show up here. If we want to concentrate and be here now, we should plan to get enough sleep before we show up so we're not dozing off. And so I have to ask, again, looking at myself first, what are we doing on Saturday night? Are you playing video games until 2 a.m.? Speaking to myself. Are you binge watching Netflix? Are you scrolling through your, your social media feeds? Are you having a night on the town? Are you drinking a little bit too much? Are you doing things that are going to lead you away from the very God that you are going to be worshiping on Sunday morning? Are you doing things to harden your heart before God. And once again, I, I, I understand. I, I actually have, my wife and I have a joke. On Saturday nights, it seems to be the most restless night in the Broccolo household. It seems that inevitably, Saturday night is the night when my kids wake up to go to the bathroom multiple times, or they don't make it to the bathroom, and so their room needs to be cleaned up, or maybe they're having some stomach issues and their room needs to be cleaned up because of that. There are things that happen, and I understand. There, you just have restless nights sometimes. That's okay. But as far as it's up to you, as far as you can, get some rest so that you can be here with us. And uh, if I can take a minute, since I'm talking about my kids, to, to brag on my wife, she started doing, again, just little practical things. She started preparing breakfast after the kids go to bed and just throwing it in the fridge so it's nice and simple. You pull it out and give it to the kids in the morning. Setting out their clothes on our couch so that the morning can go as smoothly as possible. With three kids under five, as smoothly as possible doesn't always look very smooth. Um, but as far as it's up to her, she's trying to get to the service with her mind focused on the Lord. And I would encourage you as well, just think about your morning. You could be in a totally different stage of life, but what does Sunday morning look like and what can you do beforehand to make it as smooth as possible so that you can focus on the Lord, so that you can worship when you come together, as you, you know, as the picture in Exodus gave us, as you move forward to the foot of the mountain where you will be before the living God, how can you focus on what God is saying? Rather than, I've, I've been there, you walk in the door and you hit the ground running thinking about all these things, oh, did I, uh, what's the, um, uh, the cliche of did I leave the oven on, you know, but, you know, scrolling through, oh, did I get that email? Okay, did, is, this, is this okay? Is that? And just the absolute insanity of a Sunday morning. How can you make it so that your heart and your mind, your spirit, in spirit and in truth, you can worship the Lord with all that you have? 
Here's something, I am an Austin native, lived here my entire life, so I understand that this is not uh, part of the Austin culture. But what about planning to be here a little early? <laughs> so that you can pray, so that you can focus on what we're doing. Because I think so often, again, I do this myself as well, we come into the room and maybe the first song that we sing uh, it's, it's a nice, you know, snappy song. It gets us jazzed up. We're singing about how good God is and that gets us in the right mindset to worship him, right? And look, those are good things, okay? When we worship God, we are so blessed because of it. We get reminded of the good things that he has done for us as well. So that's not a bad thing. But guys, when we come to worship and to sing, it's not about us focusing our minds. It's not about the way that we feel in the songs. Those songs are there to worship God, to focus on Him. And so if we're using them to get our minds focused, to turn off of the other craziness that happens, we're not worshiping God, we're looking at ourselves. So how can you, before you show up, Prepare to focus on the Lord so that these songs of worship, we can encourage each other together when we sing about how great God is. Pray before you come so that you'll be ready to pray when you're here and sleep before you come so that you'll be alert when you arrive and read the word, dive into the scriptures so that when you come, your heart will be ready to hear from God because he speaks when we gather together. And when we do this, it allows us to come hungry and to come willing to hear from God. We get to expect God to speak to us. We can anticipate the experience that we're gonna have when we are able to come before the living God of the universe. And I know that all these, these little practical things, it might sound like a lot, right? Like, Josh, I only have two nights a week that are not school nights, you know, nights before I have to go to work. And you're asking me to give up an entire evening just for Sunday morning. Well, that's only if we're focusing on what we're giving up, right? Think of um, an Olympic athlete. Okay, what, what, what if we change our perspective and we, instead of focusing on the things that we give up, we focus on what God is offering us, a relationship with him, to hear from him together. So that Olympic athlete that I mentioned, regardless of McDonald's marketing team, I doubt highly that a lot of Olympic athletes are out there chowing down on McDonald's very often, right? Junk food and all that kind of thing is... They don't partake in that. Their entire lives are focused on preparation, on training for those Olympic events, right? And do you think that they go around saying, man, I just, I just really want a Big Mac. Every day of their lives, they're just focusing on the, fr the McDonald's fries that they're giving up. No, they are focusing on what's in front of them, that gold medal, those Olympic events, Right? Because the goal is greater than anything that we can give up. And for us, we get to come before God. 
So I would invite you even to joyfully cut out of those things, out of your life, to become the people that you want to be. Right? Let's joyfully prepare to meet with God because he gives us such good gifts. What do we have to gain? God himself speaking. Right? We have direct access to him. We're no longer have to come behind the veil. We no longer have to fear when we come into his presence. We can come expecting him to speak to us. Even this very morning. Back in Exodus, where we started, um, God came to Israel and he told them to prepare to come before him by washing themselves, by washing their clothes. And we understand now that that was just an outward picture, right? We see what that was pointing to in the sacrifice of Christ, in the righteousness that he gives us. And so we understand that now our preparation isn't just an outward thing, right? Like, I, I hope you took a shower before you showed up here, but that's not what it's about. It's not about the outward look that we present in front of people. It's about our hearts being prepared to meet, to come together, and to worship a holy God. And look, if you didn't prepare this morning, please, I'm not, don't hear this as guilt. Don't hear this as shame. Hear this as an invitation to more. Because God will speak. He wants to be in relationship with you. In fact, that's what this has always been about. Right back in Exodus, he said, you are my treasured possession. And all throughout the scriptures, we see what this is about is a relationship with the Lord. We worship God because we know who he is personally. Imagine what God would do in our midst if we all came together as true worshipers, expecting to hear from God, and then out of that, hearing from him and going out into the world and making disciples. And as Chad shared in the previous service, this is a picture, this gathering is a picture of what we will be doing in heaven together, worshiping the Lord for all of eternity. This has always been about a relationship with the Lord. We see that from the beginning of the story, from Genesis itself. When God created man and he placed him in the garden, the Bible says that the Lord was there walking in the midst of the garden. Like Adam and Eve had direct access to God, right? But they sinned, just as we do with our lives. And that sin God had to banish them from the garden. He had to take them out of that relationship that he had with them. Again, because God is so good, he even told them that they would die if they sinned. And so God separated them from where he was and put into action his plan of salvation, right? He sets up this sacrificial system for the Israelites so that they could see through the killing of animals, what their sin does and how they need to atone for what they've done for rebelling against God. But the scripture says, at the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. 
to take the punishment for that sin that we deserved. Jesus living a perfect life paid for our sin. And Christ's body was torn on the cross, right? He was nailed to the cross. Figuratively, he was torn just like the veil was torn. And so God himself is giving us access to him. Hebrews 10 says that we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can come before the Lord in worship. And all of those previous sacrifices, all of those previous cleansings that the Old Testament talks about, they were just foreshadowing the perfect sacrifice, the perfect uh, garments that we are able to wear. That the Holy Lamb of God, Jesus himself was slain for the sins of the world. And now the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God is open to all who have faith in Jesus Christ. There's a song that we sing um, fairly often. It's called Living Hope. And it talks about this as well in verse. And I'd like to just read the verse here. It says, who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and to bear my shame. The cross has spoken and I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Here at Austin Oaks Church, we say that we want you to meet, know, and follow Jesus. So if you've never met him, I would encourage you to meet him this morning. See what he has done for you and meet him. And if you've met him but you don't know him personally, he wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. And if you know him, but you also know that you're not following him, I would encourage you to follow, to pursue him. I would invite you to follow because he offers himself. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so holy and so great and so mighty and so wonderful and so kind and so loving and so gracious. God, would you reveal that to us once again? Encourage our hearts. Thank you that we can come together, that we can gather as your people and hear directly from you. Lord, may we live lives that are prepared to worship you with all that we have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.